All right. Good morning, Faith Church. It's good to see you guys today. I know some of you have been underneath the weather not feeling well, so I'm glad some of you are on the rise. And uh, if you're at home watching because you're ill, we're praying, man, God will bless you, heal you, get you back on your feet soon. Hey, listen, man, I'm excited because we're continuing our series today entitled Follow. Everybody say the word follow. If you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to jump online. Again, you can always go and podcast, videocast the messages and stay caught up if you can't be here. Um, But basically, here's what this series is. Jesus, he issued an invite. He issued an invitation to people who originally got connected to him. The invitation that he gave them is an invitation that still he gives today to people all over this world. In fact, whether you realize it or not, it was the thing, if you're in a relationship with Christ, it's kind of the thing that started you in that relationship. We find it in in one of the many examples in the New Testament, in the Gospel of John chapter 1, one of the first apostles, one of the first disciples, this is the invitation that Jesus issued. The Bible says the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, come on, read with me, come and follow me. So this is the invitation, follow me. Jesus, he never started off with, hey, here's a list of things I want you to do. Here's some things you need to change about your life. Here's a list of things you need to stop doing. Jesus simply said, come and follow me. And here's why. He knew that if people followed him along enough, that the way he lived, the way he carried his life, the decisions he made, the way he influenced and impacted people, he knew eventually that followers would become believers, that it was inevitable following Jesus long enough and watching his miracles and seeing the things that he did, listening to the things that he taught, that eventually people would begin to believe that he really was the unique son of God. And that if you believe long enough, eventually you'll begin to behave, that you'll eventually begin to out of what you believe, begin to live it. And so Jesus just said, hey, come and follow me. And here's really what we said last week, and here's what we're going to say through this entire series is, Jesus understood because he came to be a representation of the Father. That for so long, our Heavenly Father was misrepresented. He was misunderstood who he was and what he was like. And there were religious systems put into place that made people feel very far from God. And so Jesus, he came and he taught things like this. He said, I want you to think that God is is like your father and that we're his children. When you think of God, I want you to think that God is like a shepherd and that we're his sheep. Basically what he was saying is he's saying, if you follow me, you will eventually find out who God is and what God is like. And not only will you find out who God is, but he said, you'll find out who you were always meant to be. And so today, we're going to look at one of the very first places that Jesus took his disciples because there are some things that he wants us to know about him, and there are some things he wants us to know about us. Now, let me just ask you a question. Where where do you think Jesus would take his disciples? It's kind of crazy. I don't know. It's almost stereotypical, but you know one of the very first places that Jesus took the disciples was the church. Now, maybe you've seen that coming. You know, I mean, right? I mean, Jesus is going to take people to church. Like, that's original. But if you didn't see that coming, let me just tell or if you've seen that coming, there's something that really you've never seen coming unless you know this story. Because I got a question, like, what would it be like to go to church with Jesus? Like, that would have to be kind of awesome, right? Like, he's probably going to get up and teach. It's going to be the best message ever. You know, he's going to get up and do the scripture reading. I mean, he might be, the, he might be like the, the, the most radical worshiper in the place. You know, he probably went Pentecostal, took some laps around the place, Right. I mean, what would it be like to go to church with Jesus? Well, unfortunately, Jesus, in so many ways, didn't live up to the stereotype of what it would be like to go to church with Jesus. In fact, here's what the Bible says, John chapter 2. The Bible says it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. 
Now, if you're not familiar with Jewish history or the Jewish calendar, the Passover is what we still celebrate today as New Testament believers that Jesus, through his shed blood, he covered over our sins. So death, so God's judgment passes over us. This was started all the way back in the time of Moses. It was a major Jewish holiday. So Passover for the Jews is like Easter for us, right? So um, I'm just going to tell you guys, it was mentioned that we get packed on Easter. Our attendance typically doubles on Easter. This place is crazy. It's the same way. Back during the Passover celebration, the place was packed. Everybody who had slept in all the rest of the Sundays, well, then Saturdays, they all made it to church for Christmas and Easter. They all made it for the Passover, So you got to get this picture. Jesus shows up. His 12 followers are in tow. He leads them to church, and this is what they see. Watch this. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at the tables exchanging foreign money. So Jesus, watch this. It's about to go down like Chinatown. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. Come on, somebody. That's some church right there. He drove out the sheep and the cattle. He scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and he turned over the tables. If you're thought of Jesus, and maybe you have a picture of this milk toast, thin, 160-pound, soaking wet guy on your wall, that is not Jesus. Jesus was large and in charge. He was buff, big, cut. He was able to walk into a temple, start turning over junk, and nobody said a word. Watch this. Keep going. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Now, let me just tell you, listen, one of the things I just want you to hear, if you don't really hear much else, I want you to hear this. While God is loving, God is gracious, God is merciful, there are some things that make God mad. That might be news to you, but there are some things that upset the father. There are some things that gets Jesus jacked up. And so let me just ask you a question. What what gets you fired up? What are some things that make you mad in this world? I I started thinking about probably my list of things that might upset me or frustrate me or get me a little bit angry. And it kind of all revolves around people not going the speed I think they should be going. I mean, it all all goes back to that. Uh, I'm just going to, you know, pastors sometimes have struggles and they lose their way. I'm just telling you, it's never going to be for women, and it'll never be for money. What takes me down is the person doing 55 in the 65 lane. That's what will take me down. I mean, that just frustrates me. It's like, listen, if you don't want to go the speed limit, move so I can. Help me, somebody. Right? I get angry when people are slow driving cars. I get angry when people are slow when, it's, when, when the drive through lane is slow at a fast food place. Listen, make up your mind. Is it slow food or fast food? Slow computers, slow internet. Help me, somebody. I mean, it's just, right, I mean, you can just feel. Some of me just saying these things, I can tell some of your, like, your blood pressure is just getting up there. You know, uh, it's, it's just some things that just pressure. When things don't work out the way that we want, a couple, I told my wife I was going to tell this story. She didn't know it was going to be now. You know, a couple weeks ago, she, um, I never give her a heads up because she won't come to church that day. <laughs> so, a couple weeks ago, she, she went and got us some Five Guys burgers and fries. Did y'all hear that holy hush that fell over the crowd? And uh, she brought them home, and she's going, and, you know, we have, there's five in our family, so there's five burgers and, you know, some fries, and she's divvying it out, and she gets, and she comes in, and she's like, she hands me my food. She serves, serves me my food. 
All you other wives, take notes. And so she hands me mine. She's like, man, they forgot my sandwich. They didn't put my sandwich in the bag. I can't believe it. How could they do that? And man, she's getting kind of fired up. At, point, at which point, I offered to split mine with her. Now, I know some of you are saying, you didn't offer the whole sandwich? You might have missed the part where I said it was five guys, burgers and fries. So I'm like, listen, I'll split mine, and it'll be okay. And she's like, I'm going to call them. And anyways, here, this is the funny part, is the burger that she thought was missing was sitting on the counter. Like, she had taken it out of the bag in such a rush, it's like sitting right there. But, like, we just get fired up about things. I get fired up. I love group texting unless I'm in a group text that I no longer want to be in. Help me, somebody. (laughs) Shut that junk off. When you loan something to somebody and you either don't get it back or when you get it back, it's broken, bent, or damaged, and they don't seem to care. That stuff makes me mad. But here's the thing. Listen, listen. Is all of us in this room, we have things that fire us up, things that get us jazzed, things that kind of hype us up. But honestly, I want you to think about it. Honestly, most of those things really are not a big deal in this world. If you get your French fries in five minutes or seven minutes, who cares? If you get to your destination in in 23 minutes instead of 17 minutes, who, who cares? If you get on the internet site in, in 60 seconds instead of 30 seconds, it, it doesn't really matter. But there are some things in this world, if I can just, just say this for a minute, there are some things in this world that we are reasonably and justifiably angry about. We should be upset at the abuse that happens in this world. You know, I, I, I'm, not a, I'm, not, I'm not out there where some are, but I, I think animal abuse is, is just not reasonable. If you, if you can't take, your, take care of your animal, you shouldn't have an animal. But can we just talk about people for a minute? Physical abuse of spouses is absolutely, it, it, man, I want to take husbands and I want to send them home to Jesus. When, when I see, uh, and, and I've seen young children who are sexually abused and in the sex trade industry and who are maliciously abused, like I'm understandably angry. There are some things that get us mad that really shouldn't, but there are some things when it makes us angry, like it, like it makes sense. It, uh, it's it, like we get it. It should make us mad. And so for some of you to hear the phrase that there are things that make God mad, you might say, well, no, no, no. But what you have to understand is, understandably, there are some things that make God mad. And so I want us just for a few minutes, man, we got to kind of pull in. So kind of picture this scene, right? So this whole thing goes down. Jesus is throwing tables. He's knocking over money. He's running people out. The cat is running around with a whip, chasing people out of church. It's kind of crazy. And so you have to ask yourself the question, why? Why was he so mad? And so we got to call CSI. we got, we got to get the crime scene investigators in to kind of get the backdrop on this story to understand why Jesus was rightfully so angry. And so I want you just to watch this now. Watch. A couple of things you need to get is this. First of all, the Bible says at the beginning of this story, in the temple area. Now, if you're new to spiritual things, let me just tell you something that's significant. This story took place in the temple area. Now, the temple was, was synonymous with the presence of God. This is where God hung out. This is where God's, I mean, it wasn't a rumor. It wasn't like maybe God's there. It wasn't this, it wasn't kind of this spiritual thing like, oh God, like God was there. In the temple, and what you have to know is because, right, so you go all the way back into the Old Testament, and God picked a man named Moses. He sent Moses in to rescue his, his people, the Jewish people, out of slavery, right? And they come out, and they're wandering in the wilderness. Some of you know the story. And because God wanted to be with his people, he instructed Moses to build what was called the tabernacle. Everybody say the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a mobile church. 
And every time they would lift, they would take up camp, they would fold up the church, they would fold up the tabernacle, they would carry it to their next destination, they would set it down, they would, they would put it in place, and the tabernacle was the place that God's presence dwelt. And after they finally got settled into the promised land, they didn't need a mobile tabernacle anymore, so Solomon built the temple. And it was a stationary place where God's presence dwelt. And the Bible says that this story we just read where Jesus loses his mind, Jesus gets jacked up, this happened in that place, in the temple. But it didn't just say in the temple, it says in the area. And here's why. This is, this is so important. I don't want you to miss this. Where the temple was, you have to picture, if you've got a bird's eye view, you've got to picture there is a building. It's the temple. It's actually the place. Inside of it is two rooms. One room is called the Holy of Holies. That's where God was. And only one person, one time a year, could go into that room, and he was the high priest. He was the highest religious figure of the day. And so there was the high priest that could go to the very center. Then there were just priests in general. They could go anywhere inside what was called the inner courtyard. Outside of that, kind of the next place, Jewish men could go. Outside of that, Jewish women could go. And outside of that, everyone else could go, or Gentiles. If you don't know what a Gentile is, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And so it was basically God's way of saying, hey, um, or not God's way because man had kind of corrupted this. It was people's way of saying, hey, people who don't really belong to God, they're way out there. And then women, they're second-class citizens. And then men, and then the religious, the priests, and then the high priest. Where this happened was all the way out in the Gentile courtyard. Don't miss it. Go to the next part. Here's what happened again. In the temple area... He saw merchants selling cattle, sheep and doves and for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at the tables exchanging foreign money. Here's some things that were happening here because I don't want you to miss this. There was a spiritual shakedown happening. There was, there was a religious con game being played out in the temple area. So here's what would happen. During this time, if you wanted to go to church to worship God, a primary way that they worshiped God was through sacrifices. So people would bring their sacrifice to be sacrificed. They would bring their sacrifice. But in order for it to be a, a, a sacrifice that was acceptable, part of the priest's job was to look at it and, and look at it for any kind of flaws, look and see if there was anything wrong. It was up to the priest to give the stamp of approval. Are you all tracking with me? And so the priest had a little money game because you got to remember, this was the hottest day of the year. So they had a little scam going where they just automatically rejected almost every sacrifice. And they would say, hey, your sacrifice isn't good enough. So like you would have this whole rejection thing going on. Hey, your, your, your offering, your sacrifice isn't good enough. But then the second layer of the scam would kick in because the priest would say, hey, but you don't have to go home because we just happen to have some acceptable sacrifices right over here. And that's where all the merchants who were selling animals for sacrifices so they would say, hey, your sacrifice isn't any good, but we'll sell you one. Come on, everybody say, upcharge. But it's going to cost you. And so they would sell them a sacrifice at a significant price. They would upcharge everybody. And then here was another one. So not only were everyday offerings rejected, and you could buy one on site for a lot more money, part of the worship that people had was something called the temple tax. Are you all tracking with me? Part of the worship was paying this temple tax. Well, you know what? They lived underneath the Roman Empire, so the everyday currency of people was Roman money. 
And so you could not pay, you could not pay your Rome, or you could not pay your temple tax with Roman money. So they had money booths set up where you could change out your currency from Roman money to Jewish money. And you know what? They said, hey, we'll change out your money for a upcharge. So here's what was happening. So watch this. Here's Jesus is standing there. And he's watching these people who are coming. Do you know why? Come on, church. Do you know why, Do you know why they're coming to this place? Because God is there. And man, these people are flooding in because they want to be by God. They wanted to have a relationship with God. And here are all these people who are blocking the entrance. And basically what they're saying is, is you're not good enough. You're rejected. What you're doing isn't significant enough. God doesn't accept it. You're an outcast. Basically, God is looking. Jesus is watching this happen. And he is seeing people steadily turned away from the presence of God. And the longer he stands there, the more his blood boils till finally he intervenes. And I want you to notice, when all of this happens, here's what verse 16 says. Watch this. Verse 17 says this. Then his disciples, watch this, after he, like after the mic drop moment, <laughs> like corns are like still rolling away, but there's this hush. The disciples are looking around like, oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. The disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Read it with me. Passion for God's house will consume me. They remembered that when the Messiah came, he would have a burning passion for God's house. Now, now let me ask you a question. Who was the house for? The Bible says it was God's house, but does God need a house? Come on, it's not a trick question. Y'all, y'all smarter. Does God need a house? God doesn't need a place to dwell. The heavens aren't enough to contain God. Listen, creation is not enough to contain God. God is bigger and outside of everything that he's created. God doesn't need a house. The house isn't for God. The house is for who? The house is for us. Because God knew we needed a central place to gather, to worship, to celebrate, to get together in unity and honor the living God. And so it was God's idea to set up a tabernacle. It was God's idea to set up a temple. And here's why. Because God knew that there needed to be a place where everyday people could encounter the living God. And he said, I want it to be an open door policy that anyone, anywhere can come to me. Watch. And when he stood there and Jesus seen these, these people driving people away instead of drawing them in. When Jesus stood there and watched what was happening, he got so mad at these group of people for what they were doing to turn people away. Because listen, because God is passionate about people pursuing him. You want to know what God cares about? God is passionate about people pursuing him. Not Christian people, all people. Not white people or black people, but all people. God is passionate about people pursuing him. Listen, so the Jews, right, they were called, they were called the light of the nations. People were supposed to look at the Jews and be like, man, I want to be like them. Like I, I, like, I wish I knew the God that they know. I, w- I wish I had the favor on my life that they have. So the way they lived their life, like, they were supposed to be a light drawing people to them. And Jesus knew that. And so instead of drawing people to God, they were pushing people away. And I want you to know something. Maybe you're here today and you've been pushed away. And maybe someone's gotten in your face or gotten in your heart and said, hey, you're not good enough. You're rejected. Listen, you don't meet the standards. You need to come back some other time. Maybe somebody's told you that. But I want you to know the reason Jesus came was to make a way to the Father. 
The reason Jesus came was to make a way for all people for all time to come unobstructed into God's presence. And so when he seen somebody stonewalling, when he seen somebody throwing up obstacles, Jesus moved the obstacles out of the way because he is passionate about people pursuing him. He's passionate about you pursuing him. In everything in my life, in everything in your life that makes you feel like you're not enough is not the voice of God. It is the voice of religious obstacles trying to keep you out of the presence of God. So remember, Jesus said, hey, follow me. Why? Why? Because Jesus wanted to teach the disciples right on the front end, hey, here's why I'm here. I'm here to make a way to the Father. And I'm here to make a way for everyone. John 14, 6 says this, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I came to make a way. Not to make an obstacle, to make a way. And so when Jesus sees all this happening, man, he just goes in and loses his mind throwing stuff around. Now hear me, Jesus, he didn't get angry and sin. In fact, it's significant to notice he made a whip first, which means it takes some time to sit down, cool down. He went and made a whip gathered his thoughts, then he went in and handled his bizwax. That's what I'm saying. So he drives all these people out, but watch. Not only did he want us to know, not only did he want us to know that God is passionate about people pursuing him, but remember, the invitation to follow is not just about us discovering God, but it's about us discovering who who we're meant to be. So what's that about? You get it in the rest of this story. Watch this. But the Jewish leaders, after all the chaos... But the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. They're like, hey, Jesus, we don't don't know who you think you are, but if you think you have the right to walk into this temple and disrupt everything, you better show us your credentials. Was that a ringtone or was that a kid? That's a kid. Didn't that sound like a ringtone? I'm like, answer it. If I put the spotlight on, whoever you are, I apologize. But it's too late now. (laughs) He says, all right, Jesus replied, I don't want you to miss this. This is so big. Destroy, I want you all to read this with me. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up. Here's his credentials. Jesus is saying, I'll tell you what gives me the right to do what I'm doing. You destroy this temple in three days, and I'll raise it up. Immediately, all the religious leaders are like, what? What did he say? What? And, and they think he's talking about destroying this temple. In fact, watch. What they exclaim, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to rebuild it in three days? They thought he was talking about the physical structure of the building. Jesus, they thought he was talking about the physical building where God's presence dwelt. But watch this. Next verse. But when Jesus said, read it with me, but when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. Keep going. After he was raised from the dead, the disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. So watch. They're standing there like, hey, show us what gives you the right to do this. And Jesus is like, I'm going to show you. It's going to take a couple years, but keep watching. Because you destroy this temple, and I'm going to raise it up in three days. They're like, hey, it took 46 years for thousands of people to build this building. You think you can build it in three days? He said, I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about this building where God dwells. I'm talking about this temple. This is so important. 
Because God's presence dwelt in a tabernacle, a mobile building. And then God's presence dwelt in a stationary building called the temple. And then God's presence dwelt in one man, the Messiah, the Christ, God with us, Emmanuel. God's presence dwelt in a man. Wait, wait, wait. It didn't stop there. And now God's presence doesn't dwell in a tabernacle. And it doesn't dwell in a physical building temple. Now you know where God's presence dwells? It dwells in us. We're the temple now. 1 Corinthians chapter, ch- chapter 6. Come on, read this with me. Don't you realize that your body, everybody say my body, that my body, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. See, I want you to know something. God isn't at church waiting for you to show up and left here waiting for you to come back next week. God is in you and with you everywhere you go. And when you come, he comes with you. And when you leave, he leaves with you. And he's with you in the workplace and he's with you at home. He's with you watching TV. He's with you everywhere at all times for all people. Now we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody. Now, so that's great news. So watch, it's not a rumor. It's not not a spiritual, ethereal thing. The presence of God is in you. But here's the question. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked to the physical temple and he looked around and he didn't like what he found. If Jesus walked in your temple what would he find? See, because if the temple was a building and Jesus showed up at the building and he got upset at what he found in the building because the building was supposed to be a place that drew people into God's presence, but it was pushing people out, so he got upset, what would God feel if he showed up and found stuff in your temple and my temple? Because the same way God is passionate about people who pursue him, God expects people who, to, who pursue him to be passionate about our relationship with him. Anybody here ever watch the show Hoarders? Anybody watch that show Hoarders? If you've never seen Hoarders, don't watch it because it'll make you scratch and itch for like hours. If, if you have a type A personality, you will spring clean as soon as the show's over, Right? So if, here's the show. Basically, it's about these people who have, and it's a mental illness. I mean, that's the only way you can explain it. And they hoard stuff, and they just keep stuff, and it keeps piling up and piling up. And most of these people have so much stuff in their home that, like, you have to crawl over stuff. And most of it's trash. We watched one episode of this guy. He literally had, like, four foot of trash over his whole apartment. So when you walked, you didn't walk in the hallway. Like, he crawled in tunnels full of trash. And when people would open the door, people were like, oh, my goodness. And, like, you couldn't even breathe. There was so much garbage. And they would ask this question, watch. And it happens all the time. If you watch the show, people ask this question, how did they get like this? How did it get this way? I want you to know something. Listen, there, there's, there's, some, there's some clutter in my temple. And there's some clutter in yours. And you ask the question, like, how did you let it get that way? Here's why. Because the longer we allow something to stay, the more comfortable it becomes. And all of a sudden, we start justifying what is not justifiable. And we start accepting what is no longer acceptable. Are you all hearing me? Now, listen, some of you are going to get mad at me here, and I love you. But I want you to hear me. Listen, make no mistake. I am, nor are you, perfect, and God does not expect perfection. 
But God doesn't want us to settle for imperfection either. Because imperfection, imperfection limits people from pursuing him. See, there should be this tension. If you're a true Christ follower, there should be this tension that's in your life. It's in mine where I know I can't be perfect, but I want to be perfect. But every time I try to be perfect, I remember I'm not perfect and I need God's grace. Listen, this is not about God's love. God loves you right where you are, how you are, your struggles, your battles, everything you're going through. But once you decide to follow, God's looking at you saying, now you're the temple. And I want you to passionately pursue me and not just you, but listen to me, the same way the Jewish people were a light to the nations, I want you to know that you are a light in the dark places of this world. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they'll see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Which means when people look at you, are they being drawn to God or pushed away, pushed back from God? See, because the clutter in our life either draws people in or it pushes people back. Your gossip and your slander and your backbiting and your mess and your fear and your anxieties and the stuff that you throw up over people at work, all the garbage that's going on in your life and people are watching me and they're watching you. Hear me, listen, we can't be perfect, but God doesn't want us to settle for anything less than imperfection. He wants to live at a level where we're pursuing him and nothing's getting in the way. He wants us to live at a level where other people can pursue him because they see what God has done in us. So what's God looking for? What's God seeing when he looks in your temple? Never get comfortable with the clutter that crowds out God. Never get comfortable with the clutter that crowds out God. There's a lot of commonality in this room. The commonality is we all have clutter. Y'all can amen that. But God said, listen, you you got to take the trash out. You got to take the trash out. And we do it, right? I mean, some of you remember when you got saved. I remember I got saved and I started taking the trash out. All of a sudden, there was stuff in my life that I lived with and I'm like, man, that's not right. I can't do that no more. Anybody here remember when you started changing when you gave your life? Help me somebody. Anybody here remember you started changing and growing? Things started transforming in your life? But here's what happens because it happens to me and it happens. All of a sudden, you start letting stuff back in. It's kind of like when you spring clean a closet. Anybody ever here clean like a closet or a basement? And you're shocked by how much stuff is there. And you take all this junk out. And like three years later, it's right back. Where you're like, how did it get there? Because every now and then, you got to clean it out again. You know, one of the first things Jesus did was took his disciples to church. And he cleaned house. You want to know one of the last things he did before he died? He went back to church and he cleaned house. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 21. He goes right back. Do I have that verse? Did I give you guys that? Matthew 21, Jesus, this is at the end of his ministry. Jesus entered the temple, began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. Do you know why? Come on, because in all of our lives, we, so, we slowly let stuff accumulate back. Fear and anxiety and doubt and sin and struggles stuff that shouldn't be there. And we let that, and it starts slowing us down in our pursuit of God. And when you get slowed down in your pursuit of God, people around you get slowed down in their pursuit of God. So let me just ask you a question. What's in the temple that needs cleaned out? What's in the temple, man, if Jesus seen it, he would get jacked up about? Because here's the promise as we close. First John 1, 9, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says, if we confess our sin, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says, hey, I'll cleanse the temple again if you let me. And some of us need help because we got some big old heavy stuff in our lives that we can't carry out on our own. We need somebody to come and help us lift it out. Amen? So with every head bowed, every heart open to him. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for your amazing love. You love me in spite of all my struggles. You love us in spite of all of our battles. You love us in spite of all of our clutter. But God, I know that you're calling us to understand that there are some things that make you angry. And God, that's God when any time a person is hindered from drawing close to you, anytime there's an obstacle put in the path of people finding you, God, I know that messes you up. I know that upsets you. And I pray that we would be just as passionate about people pursuing you. And since we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, since we're the place that your presence dwells, I pray in Jesus' name that you would show us in our life the clutter that doesn't belong. Show us what's holding us back. Come on, God doesn't even have to show some of you, man. You know what it is. God, show us the stuff that's not just holding us back, but God is holding other people back because of the clutter in our life. If you're here today and you've gotten comfortable with some clutter that's crowding out God in your life, right here, listen, about the next 15 or 20 seconds, I want you just to take a minute and I want you just to ask God to come and to cleanse your heart. I want you to ask God to clean the temple. I want you to ask God to help you to get rid of that clutter that's in your life. Come on, all over this room, just take a minute. Say, God, just take it from me. God, I just ask you, Lord, to come and cleanse me. God, I ask you to renew me. If you're not sure what it is, ask God, Lord, show me what's the clutter. Show me what's the stuff that's accumulated in my life that doesn't belong. All over this room, Holy Spirit, I want you to come and you help us. I pray set people free. I pray empty out hearts that are full of hatred and hurt and bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. Lord, all over this room, I pray let addictions be broken. Let struggles be overcome. In the name of Jesus, Father, I pray that you would do what only you can do and renew our hearts and make us whole again. And Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Listen, with every head bowed just for another minute, listen, if you're here today, I want you to know that this journey, again, begins with an invitation to follow. Jesus came for you. If you're here today and you've never accepted God's grace, maybe you're new to church, maybe you're new to spiritual things, Something I hear a lot in testimonies of life change are people who've gone to church their whole life and they only played the game and they never really opened their life up to a life-changing relationship with their Savior. And so if you're here, come on, sir. Maybe you've been in church your whole life. I mean, you're just playing a game. And man, today you want to say, Pastor, will you pray for me? I want to open my life up to God's love. I want to open my heart up to his grace. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. And the Bible says because of our sin, we're separated from him. But again, Jesus came to make a way. And so he died on the cross to forgive us of our sin. If you're here and you want to say, Pastor, will you pray for me? I need God's grace in my life. I want to accept Jesus as my savior. I need him in my life. In a minute, I'm going to pray. And if you want to include it in this prayer, listen, no shame. If you're far from God or you're playing games with God, listen, he'll meet you right where you are, all over this room, up in the balcony. If that's you and you want to include it in this prayer, I want you to lift a hand. Come on, lift it up. Say, Pastor Steve, pray for me. I want to give my life to Jesus today. Come on, lift them up real high and leave them up. 
Lift them up real high and leave them up all over this room. Say, pray for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Over here to my left. Thank you. Up front to my left. Anybody else? Come on. Up in the balcony. Thank you. Say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Pray for me. For the five or so that lifted your hands, listen, I'm going to pray this prayer and I just want to invite you to pray this with me. The Bible says that if we'll confess with our mouth, if we'll say it, if we'll confess that Jesus is our Lord, if we'll believe in our heart, we'll put faith that he died for us. The Bible says through that, in that instant, you're saved. In that moment, you're forgiven. And I want you to pray this with me. Everybody else in this house, will you join the five or so that lifted their hands and let's pray this. If you didn't lift your hand, you can still pray this and God will meet you where you are. Say, Jesus, come on every voice. I ask you today to forgive me to cleanse me and make me whole. I need your grace and I know you offer it. So I accept it with an open heart. Change my life, save me and make me your child. In Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed said amen. Come on, can we thank God today?